This is Kim Davis and welcome again to one of our Spotlight on Serious Decisions podcasts. Um, I have with me now Lisa Nakano, who's Senior Director of Customer Engagement Strategies with Serious Decisions. Welcome, Lisa. Good to be here. Now, <clears throat> some of the topics of these podcasts were, were chosen by Serious Decisions and uh, some they asked me to choose and I thought customer engagement, very interesting thing to talk about. We hear these terms about customer experience, customer engagement, customer centric, all, <laughs> all over the place. But um, interesting thing about the serious decisions approach is I know if, if they're talking about a topic, there's going to be a pretty evolved and even complex framework around it so that it's a rational discussion, not just buzzwords. <laughs> and I saw a little bit of that in your presentation yesterday. Mm-hmm. So how do you approach the idea of customer engagement? Well, and it is interesting because customer engagement um, is not necessarily as mature a world as some of the other functions at Serious Decisions, like marketing operations and some of the other things that are more codified. Um, but for us, customer engagement is the, the compilation of certain post-sale functions, certainly, but it's also the goal. Right. The goal is to engage customers as fully as possible. Um, where we kind of bring that together under the umbrella includes functions of customer experience, customer marketing, and customer success. So we feel like those three functional areas are so critical to ensuring that customers are indeed engaged throughout the post-sale life cycle that um, those are the three leaders, if you will, that we serve with our service. And we have certainly models and frameworks, thought leadership, all the usual kind of serious (laughs) decisions things, um, but a lot of the power of that is also connecting those three organizations, which can sometimes be functionally in disparate places in a company. Sure. So. Now, one thing would interest me there is you're talking about the post-sale oh, yes. environment. And I think to some people, customer engagement, the first thing that springs to mind is going out there and grabbing a prospect at the top of the funnel. But that's not what, what, what you mean by it. Right, and that's a really good point. So we do make a distinction between the buyer's journey and the customer life cycle. I see. We do see them as as distinct, certainly along the same continuum. And we don't want to be naive. You know, your customers are also in a good situation to be your next buyer as mm-hmm. well, right? So they'll re-enter some of those. But the reality is that once folks become customers, there's a tendency, at least historically, for organizations to kind of say, well, okay, thanks. You know, maybe send them a couple emails, a couple links, <laughs> right. you know, um, and not treat customers with the kind of discrete, persona-based, purposeful support that they got when they were buying. Mm-hmm. And so the organizations that I work with are all about ensuring that that brand promise is met. The expectations that you're set when you buy are met when you're a customer, um, and hopefully even more so, right? And things like delivering on your promises, ensuring that products are adopted and used and um, customers have a positive experience, you know, all the way through, uh, we have a four-stage life cycle um, that that we use. Uh, It doesn't really matter to me what, you know, as long as someone's documenting it and and adhering to it, that's what really matters. Uh, But yes, we definitely make a distinction between the buyer's journey and the customer life cycle. This does seem to me to fit very neatly with things I've been hearing, certainly over the last year, about uh, customer experience because it sounds like this is very much about ongoing brand affinity. In other mm-hmm. words, the brand staying in the customer's life in a oh, relevant yes. way and it's an ongoing relationship. And it really is. And, it, and it's not just 
what do we want our customers to do? What mm. can we get out of our customers, right? It's completely changing that mindset of what is it that compels our customers to want to stay with us, grow with us, advocate on our behalves in a perfect world. Um, what are all the things that they want to do that we can help them with? Okay. And along the way, we'll probably remind them of the value and what they're getting out of it. <laughs> and, you know, there, there's that undercurrent, certainly. But it's to not really be so focused on what can we get them to do. Right. And I think you mentioned earlier that also aligns really well with the employee life cycle yes. that we talked about in our presentation. Yes. You can't make employees do things, right? So same kind of logic. There's an employee life cycle. You can hire for customer centricity. You can encourage, reward, recognize throughout an entire employee life cycle and keep those employees engaged with the brand and yep. delivering the brand. And a lot of that has a either very specifically called out or natural effect of improving the customer experience because they had an expectations, your employees are living that brand, fulfilling the expectation, and, you know, if you can get them all aligned, which of course is the trick, um, you know everybody's happy, productive, and um, you know doing the things they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> things have changed, haven't they? Because it used to be that the brand was there to get the money out of the customers' wallets, and the employees were there to do what they were told to do to make that happen. Right. You're describing a quite different uh, approach to the whole thing. Much more of an ecosystem approach. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's um, in B two B. We used to kind of get a pass. Like people would put up with in their work life <laughs> less of a, a stellar experience, right. perhaps. But now there, there's no white space between B2C and B2B anymore in terms of meeting expectations, being innovative, um, knowing who you're talking to. The days of dear customer are, are gone. Yeah. Right? So um, the expectations are higher. We have to meet those expectations. But also there are businesses that are moving to a recurring revenue model for a whole lot of reasons. Interesting, yeah. So you yeah. can't just sell it once and disappear, come back a year later and say, so ready to renew? And then, you know, you're surprised when customers say, who are you again? <laughs> how, how does that work? So you have to continuously engage with customers just to stay alive, right? Yeah. Um, cost of acquisition is high. Cost to serve is lower. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a mentality there that's pretty straightforward for any organization, right? Yeah, that it's makes more, sense. And, and what uh, Megan Hewer, our head of research, always talks about is what we're trying to do is deal with that leaky bucket syndrome, mm -hmm. right? You're losing all these customers out the bottom and continuously trying to fill the top. Well, if you can keep those customers you have, you can spend less to bring new ones in. Yeah. You can serve the ones you have. Customer lifetime value over time is a big deal. Yeah. And, and so all these different kind of approaches of looking at your business based on your go-to-market model and you know, the way economic forces are coming into play feeds very naturally into customer engagement being a much more top-of-mind thing mm -hmm. um, than perhaps it was when I started in this space where it was more about um, customer sat scores or surveying customers. And it was re revolutionary to yeah. do an NPS survey. <laughs> and it's still important. That's yeah. still, you know, those kinds of metrics are still very valid, but it's so much more than that now. Okay. Now, you said that the elements of, of this can exist in different parts of the organization. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to handle that? Is it mandatory to actually have a customer engagement team, or are there other, other ways around it? Uh, I would say in a perfect world, you will have a chief customer officer whose universe is all about the customer. Now, they may have customer support. Mm -hmm. They may even have user experience under them, so that's okay. Um, but that's not always the situation we see. So often you'll have a customer experience 
person or function, and they're bringing in kind of that um, undiluted voice of the customer. They're representing what the customer, they map the customer journey. They understand where the pain points are, where the leverage points are, uh, what are the things that, that we can capitalize upon, and, and where do we need to do some work. Um, that's an organization that can pretty much live anywhere, and it tends to be more around uh, where the leadership in your organization has the most passion. Right. Often the CMO. Yep. It, it could and often be the CMO if there's no chief customer officer. Sometimes it's the COO, right? It, it depends. Then there's customer marketing, which by title should probably live in marketing. <laughs> and that's the group that leverages that whole marketing tool set and expertise, but in service of the existing customer base, engaging and nurturing uh, the entire you know, existing customer. A little bit different DNA than the acquisition marketing team. Yep. Um, and then there's customer success, which often lives in sales. Yeah. And um, that particular group is all about ensuring that folks get the value out of what they've bought and that there's, you know, cons consistent ways of explaining back to customers how they got the value, but also working them through the life cycle, more on an account level. Mm -hmm. And so that tends to live in sales. The, the tricky part there is it can be very uncomfortable for a head of sales to have an organization that's not quota bearing. And we typically recommend that those folks not be quota bearing. Customers can smell a quota-based <laughs> person coming at them from a mile away. Yes. You don't need another salesperson, frankly. Um, so that can there can be some discomfort within sales for, to have that um, that per, that kind of group. But in a recurring revenue model, it's much more natural. Yeah. You know. So now, one way you you explained this in the presentation, which I thought was really brought it to life, was that. The, the GPS example. I'll let you explain the closed it. loop. Yeah, explain it in your own words. Yeah, yeah. we talk about that, and, and Julie Ogilvie, who I presented with, mm -hmm. was the one who actually came up with this, so full credit to her. But the idea about the destination is the brand. Mm -hmm. the, the drivers, the people doing the actual you know, driving in a GPS system, um, are the, you know, the ones that have the phone in their hands. That's the employees, right? Because they can take us to that destination. Yep. And then the satellite giving those, um, that, that data and that information is customer engagement. So the customer engagement is the eye in the sky, helping to ensure that people are on the right track, that the brand is being um, delivered appropriately. They can help the employees to understand their place in that world. Um, employees are certainly living that brand and that culture through words and deeds. Yep. Um, and then the brand, of course, is constantly informing what customers should expect. And the customer team is also providing advocates back to the brand to help amplify and expand that brand reach through customers that are having good positive experiences that we're capturing. Yep. So it is very much a closed loop kind of system. And it, all these ideas at retention, loyalty, affinity, advocacy, it really is the B2C world come Absolutely. To B2B, isn't it? And it's, it's very interesting and tricky because it, early on, we saw a lot of organizations start to adopt a very consumer kind of mentality. Like, oh, we'll give them points if they do this thing, and they can earn this. And um, it, it's really, uh, it's okay if that works for mm -hmm. your particular space. But what we find is that when you make a B2B buying decision, it's not like, where, which Italian restaurant should I eat at tonight? Right? It's yeah. a big deal. You're often putting your um, your per professional credibility, even your career on the line to do business with or implement You know, a, what could be a very big infrastructure right. system or a critical service that you need to be successful. It's a much bigger skin in the game kind of thing. Yeah. So um, points, gift cards, 
mm, you know, I'm not a huge fan. But there are such <clears throat> great ways to get those folks to be invested. You deliver what you promise, get them, you know, capture the successes that they're having, help them to meet other people like them, expand their network. There's so many things that we can do that are specific to the person's role, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're going to want to make sure that a, a C-level person is getting more information about thought leadership and you're matching them up with other executives and there's a career enhancing element. Users are maybe going to get those tips and tricks so they can become um, effective with your product or service more quickly. Right. Don't send those tips and tricks to the CEO, right? I mean, you have to understand who <laughs> yes. you're... But yes, that's how you build that loyalty. Uh, as you said, that affinity, I like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ongoing trust. And also, when those people leave that company, guess who they bring with you? Mm-hmm. With them. And so our research shows that 80% of, um, of our respondents in, in our surveys on an ongoing basis indicate the customer experience is the biggest factor in buying. Now, that can be direct or indirect. Yes. That's huge. You can't argue with that. right? And so when people take that experience with them or they have a relationship with a, a salesperson or um, the product itself, when they go on to their next role, they tend to bring it along. Um, we always say you know, serious decisions is a great example of that because we are basically a recurring revenue services business. Mm-hmm. And our biggest uh, component of growth is when... Um, a seat holder or a client changes jobs, moves to a different company, and the first thing they say is like, "Oh, I got to get serious decisions in here to help me." Right. And so that's exact. That's how we grow. So we completely understand how it, it works. It's <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Because the product or the service may be great, the price might be right, but there's that other component there, the whole experience you have with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and our research indicates too that um, price and product are much less important. Than you might think. Now, yeah. I've been in sales and I have been in a lot of different marketing roles. And you know, anytime you read a win loss study, well, it always you know ask the sale people ask the sales reps in win loss studies, which is a whole other conversation. But it they always say, oh, the, it was too expensive or the product didn't meet mm-hmm. their needs. And you know, we have to kind of call BS on that. Ah, say that's not interesting. Truly, um, unless perhaps there are exceptions if you're in a super yeah. commodity. I mean, there's exceptions, but for the most part, it's like Mm-mm, no. You know, you didn't, we didn't get that value out to them. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And just to finish up with, the thing which strikes me is that although our topic is customer engagement, you go back again and again to employee engagement. Mm. So understand why that's important. To what extent are you finding that brands themselves recognize this and recognize the key role that their employees play in making sure the customer engagement experience is good. Some companies are pretty mature in that space. Um, we have, uh, we've seen a number of companies that say, oh, our, our priority this year is customer centricity, customer first, <laughs> it's in our values. You know. yes. um, and in some organizations it's just lip service and that's, that's kind of sad, right? Yeah. Because then it's a, it's a promise you're making to your employees that you're not living up to and that's pretty dangerous. In other companies, they are actually matching it up. They are actually training their employees. And the example that I gave in my presentation was Kronos, mm-hmm. you know, a longtime client of Serious Decision, where they you know, had a very mature voice of the customer, customer feedback program. I was like, you know, if we're going to move this to the next level, and they were going through some transformation in their business model, if we're going to move this to the next level, we really need the employees to connect with what they do and how it impacts our customers and really you know, bring that to life. And they did a really nice job with that through, you know, a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. But they 
did interviews with the employees. They did interviews with customers. This wasn't you know a bunch of people in a room throwing darts at a board <laughs> and hoping that <laughs> they hit the mark. So it can't be done. But I think the more common um, the more common scenario is the the lip service without a lot of backing it up. Um, I also have have done work in my career where we. Uh, certified all of the employees on customer priorities, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody had some online training, and then we backed it up with uh, quarterly like podcasts or little internal videos about what was new with employee with customers that they might find interesting and rewards and recognition, huge, right? Not mm-hmm. just recognizing uh, the salespeople who made quota are going to club. That's okay; it's its own thing. Yeah. But you know, what is someone in accounts payable doing? that is making it easier for customers to do business with us downstream. Right, right. so the the employees that might feel a little more buried in the organization and and helping that connection is is really critical. And we do see um, bits and pieces of that, but I don't know that we see a lot of consistent implementation around that. Yeah. Maybe there's a little work to do there between the the connection between human resources, employee lifecycle, customer engagement, and you know, marketing in general. Mm-hmm. This is probably that that triad that we were kind of showing in our presentation. Um, it, it's not quite there, universally for sure. And we're talking about the cost of acquiring new customers. Cost of, of acquiring new employees is not trivial either. Yes. Right. And look at the kind of. I mean, competition is fierce yeah. for employees right now. And I live in um, Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and so it's it's very much the case there. And once you've put all this time and energy into finding a good fit employee, yeah. you have to continue to engage them and keep them because there's there's somebody knocking at the door, some headhunter, somebody else, you yeah. know, LinkedIn, yeah. you know, hey, want to come work for us? <laughs> we have free food all day long. You know, uh, and, and you have to have that ability to keep those employees and certainly your high performers at a minimum. Um, Yeah, competition is fierce to get them in the door. It's expensive to get them up and running. You invest all that training and all, ugh, everything else, right? So once you have those those employees on board, it's like a customer, right? You have to serve them through the life cycle and continue to, you know, grow them professionally, um, personally, and make them advocates for your company as well. That's a great perspective. And I think this is a topic we're going to be talking about a lot more in the future. Oh, we hope to. Yes. Thank you so much, Absolutely. Lisa, for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. My pleasure.